0: I spent the week in Austin, Texas. I had a great time. I stayed with my buddy Cameron and went out just about every night. And during the day, I lived on nothing but breakfast tacos for the better part of the week. And I'm a better man because of it. It's a good way to go through life. But I felt the need to get outside of the city and get away from all the hustle and bustle that Austin has become. So I drove down south and I went to visit Blaze Foley's grave. It's a beautiful stone they have out there, and uh, it's all surrounded by live oaks, just a beautiful quiet surroundings down south of Austin. And afterwards, I went over to my buddy Adam Carroll's birthday party. He had a party at Sam's Town Point and hung out there, got to see him. If you don't know about Adam, you really need to look him up. He's wonderful. He's one of my favorite songwriters, and he's one of my favorite people. But if you want to check him out, and you're looking for a place to start, just check out Errol's song, Bernadine, Oklahoma Gypsy Shuffler, you know Rice Birds, and uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. The next day, I started heading home, and I drove back, driving through eastern Texas. I stopped off in Sulphur Springs, Texas. I heard there were some giant cow statues that I had to had to go by and see, and I saw those. They were about as big as a house and enjoyed that. I kept driving. I stopped off in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I heard about Babe Ruth's home run that when he was in the minor leagues there in Hot Springs, he hit a home run that was 587 feet. And at the time, no one had ever hit one that was over 500 feet. And it just happened to land in a crocodile pond. that's still there. So I went over there and checked that out. There's a petting zoo right next to it. Of course, I went over and had to pet some deer and goats. I sent Amy home some pictures and she was really mad that she wasn't able to partake in it. But I'm all about petting some farm animals. I even took a picture of a mural on the side of a brick building there in Hot Springs. Some kind of a cigar ad, very old vintage ad. And then I realized that about two hours earlier, JD Wilkes was at the same spot and took a picture of the same mural. And great minds think alike, I guess. But I made my way back to Nashville and it feels awful good to be back home. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. Over the last few years, I've had quite a few different subjects that I've wanted to do a show on, but I was unable to get a guest that could do a good job telling the story. But I got such a great response when I did the Wabash Cannonball episode, when I flew solo and tried that myself, that it kind of emboldened me, and I'm going to try it again. So I'm going to fly solo again this time, and I'm going to talk about Blind Willie Johnson music that we enjoy and listen to today all came from somewhere those of us making music you know we're just building upon what people have done for generations before us a lot of times we don't even know the names of these people I think there's a saying that we're standing on the shoulders of our forefathers and I think in music that's definitely true and one of those people was blind Willie Johnson he's not the most known person I'm guessing if you're listening to this show You're one of the people who dig much deeper and you might know about him, but I'm gonna do everything I can to tell you some stories about him. And like I usually say at this point, this is just an oral tradition. This is me telling stories. I'm gonna do my best to be as accurate as I possibly can. And things might get a little rough around the edges. Here's blind Willie Johnson. There's a mythology that surrounds old blues singers you know, from way back in the day, talking about poverty, rough living, having really hard lives, and Willie Johnson was the epitome of that. He was born on January 22nd, 1897 in Brenham, Texas, a little small town of Brenham, and his mother died when he was just a baby, but when Willie Johnson was five years old, he told his father that he wanted to one day become a preacher. And that was something that followed him all through his life. He felt a a very strong calling at an early age to to preach the gospel. And then soon afterwards, his father helped him build his first guitar out of a cigar box. And that's when he started playing. It's important to point out that Willie wasn't born blind. He could see like any other kid, just a normal kid. When he was seven years old, his father had remarried. And Willie's stepmother found out that his father had been cheating on her with another woman. So as a way to take out vengeance and to get back at his father, she took lye, which is an alkaline substance, and she rubbed it in Willie's eyes and it made him blind, which is a horrible thing to think about. So this poor kid who hadn't done anything to anybody ends up blind so she could get her vengeance. So as the years went by, Willie got really good at playing guitar and singing. And his father would take him downtown and drop him off on a street corner all day. And Willie would stand out there singing gospel songs. And it's important to point out that Willie never thought of himself as a blues singer. He always thought of himself as a gospel singer or a preacher or a minister. And he would sit out there, he would sing gospel songs, And people would give him money, and he would do a little bit of preaching. They'd give him a little bit of more money. He'd take it back, and it would help them get by. There's a story about Willie singing on the streets in New Orleans in front of a courthouse. And he would stand out there, and he would sing gospel songs. And he was singing, If I Had My Way, I'd Tear This Building Down, which is a story about Samson and Delilah from the Bible. And a big crowd gathered around. A lot of people were listening, and they start singing along. So, right in front of the courthouse, you have a big group of people all singing, If I Had My Way, I'd Tear This Building Down over and over again at the top of their lungs. And there's a police officer nearby who heard this and got a little bit frightened by it. And he thought that there was some kind of a a riot breaking out. He thought that, you know, he was, Willie was inciting this riot and something bad was going to happen. So he misunderstood the whole situation and arrested Willie. But that gives you an idea just how good Willie was at what he did. Most of the details of his life are just lost to history. We just don't know that much about him. It's become a bit of a mystery amongst amongst blues fans. What we do know is there's only one known photograph of him in existence, and he recorded 30 songs in his lifetime in five recording sessions over a couple years, and recorded in Dallas, New Orleans, and Atlanta. All of these sessions were for Columbia Records. And the first session he did was on December 3rd, 1927, in Dallas, Texas. We don't know where that was. Maybe the information's out there somewhere, but I couldn't I couldn't find it. It was somewhere in Dallas. It's likely that it was in a hotel room. I'm guessing there's some document somewhere with the exact location that's locked away in a dusty file cabinet somewhere in Columbia Records Vaults. At that first recording session, December 3rd, 1927, in Dallas, he recorded... Uh, I know his blood can make me whole, Jesus make up my dying bed, mother's children have a hard time, if I had my way I'd tear this building down, it's nobody's fault but mine, and dark was the night, cold was the ground. The first 78 RPM record the Columbia released of his music had mother's children have a hard time on one side, and if I had my way I'd tear this building down on the other side, and it sold 15,000 copies which is saying something because that's more than Bessie Smith was selling at the time, and she was a very popular artist. But he had a couple years of recording and some success, but it didn't last long. When the Great Depression hit, people stopped buying as many records, and his recording career pretty much dried up. So for the rest of his life, he remained impoverished, and he would sing and preach on street corners in different cities through Texas. He eventually settled in Beaumont, and there's a city directory from 1945 that shows a Reverend W.J. Johnson, which we now believe was him, operated a house of prayer at 1440 Forest Street there in Beaumont. So he was a preacher. It was what he wanted to do. He ended up becoming a minister and did all he could to get by. He ended up living in that same address until 1945 when the house caught fire. And it burned down and he had nowhere else to go. So he ended up staying, sleeping in this burned out shell of a house and the rain would come in and it would soak his bed and he would sleep there on this wet bed. And there's stories about him covering it with newspapers, trying to to dry it out, but he would still sleep there. So he lived like this as long as he could, but he ended up catching malaria and he died on September 18, 1945, and the death certificate said that he was a minister. It didn't mention that he was a musician at all. He was simply a minister. His wife later said that she tried to take him to the hospital, but they refused to treat him, one, because he was blind, and two, because he was black. His death certificate claims he was buried in Blanchett Cemetery in Beaumont, which was the colored-only cemetery at the time, the black-people-only cemetery. And the cemetery kind of fell to ruins itself with the tombstones being broken and shattered and the weeds growing up, and no one knows where exactly his grave is in that cemetery. The neighbors claimed that throughout the years there had been different floods, and the cemetery would cover with water, and the coffins would come to the surface and float away. His legacy is that he became one of the most influential of all the early bluesmen. He ended up influencing people like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And even in New York, Reverend Gary Davis would play his songs, and people like Dave Von Ronk or Bob Dylan would hear that, and they would learn the songs also. Fred McDowell would play his songs. And he's been covered by everyone from Led Zeppelin, Springsteen, Grateful Dead, White Stripes, There's a long, long list. Dwayne Allman, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Ry Cooter all claim that he's one of their heroes. A couple quotes that I'll read. Eric Clapton said that his playing on Nobody's Fault But Mine is the finest slide guitar playing you'll ever hear. Jack White says, dark was the night, cold was the ground, is the greatest example of slide guitar ever recorded. I stumbled across this interview with Ry Cooter, where he's talking to Jason Obrecht. I'd like to read you some of that. There's some really nice quotes. Ry Cooter says, Of course I've tried all my life, worked very hard and every day of my life, practically, to play in that style, not consciously saying, today is Tuesday, I will again try to play like Blind Willie Johnson. That sound is in my head, and really when you come right down to it, you can sit down and play some of his tunes. And the single string melody thing that he did, which is so great, he's so good, I mean, he's just so good. Beyond a guitar player, I think the guy is one of these interplanetary world musicians, the kind of person they talk about in the Not a Brahma book, where the world is sound and everything is resonating. He's one of those guys. There's only a few. When asked about dark was the ground, cold was the night, Ry Cooter says, that's the most transcendental piece in all American music. But dark was the night is the cut, everybody knows that lick. You can throw that lick at anybody nowadays. I threw it up inside Paris, Texas, you know, and everybody relates. Now you play that lick and everybody knows what it is. It's like an unspoken word. It's really amazing. I'll really tell you, Blind Willie Johnson is in the ether somewhere. End quote. Rykooter mentioned Paris, Texas in that quote. Rykooter did the score for the movie Paris, Texas, which I've said before, I'm a huge fan of. And he based his entire soundtrack... Around Dark was the night, cold was the ground. On Bob Dylan's first record, he recorded In My Time of Dying, which is an adaptation of Jesus' Make Up My Dying Bed from Blind Willie Johnson. And then Led Zeppelin ended up hearing the Dylan version, and they did their own version of In My Time of Dying. Led Zeppelin also recorded Nobody's Fault But Mine on their 1976 album, Presence. I played a blues festival a few years ago in Monaghan, Ireland. And I met a guy named Steve James, who's a wonderful guitar player. just a great guitar player. And he's also quite the historian. And we shared a train ride back to Dublin the next day, a couple hours long and sat next to each other. And he just told me a ton of great stories. Really wonderful guitar player, wonderful guy. And I urge you to look him up on YouTube and see some of the videos on there of him playing. He's, I can't say enough good things about him. When I was researching this, I stumbled across this quote, and I just wanted to put this in here. Anybody who's ever played the bottleneck guitar with some degree of accomplishment is quoting Blind Willie to this day. That's Steve James. There's also this great article that was printed in the Austin American Statesman quite a few years ago by Michael Corcoran, which I highly recommend you go look up at michaelcorcoran.com. But a quote from that article Even though his guitar playing inspired a host of Delta bluesmen, from Johnson and Sunhouse to Muddy Waters, Blind Willie refused to sing the blues, that style of pre-war music preferred by collectors and historians. He sang only religious songs, which explains a big part of his relative obscurity. His gruff, evangelical bellow and otherworldly guitar were designed to draw in milling, mulling masses on street corners, not to charm casual roots rock fans decades later. Again, you can read the rest of that article at michaelcorcoran.com. The thing that I love about this story is that there are so many people who create simply for the sake of creating. You know, and they do the work, and they never make money off of it. They'll often die in obscurity. People won't know that they've done these things, and sometimes they've done wonderful things. But you never know who might enjoy this work down the road, and you you never know who might experience it. And that brings me to my favorite part of this story. In 1977, NASA launched its Voyager program, and it was a scientific mission to send spaceships out into outer space, and it would send back information about those areas that it would collect through photos or whatever scientific means. But also part of this NASA chose Carl Sagan to head a committee where he would put together something called the Golden Record, and what this is is a collection of 116 images, images like Da, Vin- da Vinci's drawings of man and woman, the line drawings, things like this. So would, the idea is it would show what it was to be human, you know, what we were, what the essence of us as people are. There's a phonograph on board. That would play automatically if it encountered some alien species and there's a sound of a human heartbeat the sound of birds sound of whales just the sounds that we take for granted here on earth carl sagan said the spacecraft will be encountered and the record played only if there are advanced spacefaring civilizations in interstellar space but the launching of this bottle into the cosmic ocean says something very hopeful about the life on this planet. Thus the record is best seen as a time capsule. And there's a note inside a Voyager from President Jimmy Carter that says This is a present from a small distant world, a token of our sounds, our science, our images, our music, our thoughts and our feelings. We are attempting to survive our time so we may live into yours. That's from President Jimmy Carter. There was also music that was put on this record. Music from Bach, Beethoven, Stravinsky, Mozart, lots of music, Chuck Berry even. But included in this is Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground by Blind Willie Johnson. It makes me feel hopeful to think that a recording made in a Dallas hotel room back in 1927, you know, by a kid who was violently blinded at a young age, lived in poverty, and died impoverished, and died in the midst of racism, that right now, that 1927 recording of Blind Willie Johnson's voice and guitar has traveled over 9 billion miles from Earth. I think this would be a great time for all of us to search out a recording of Blind Willie Johnson. Dark was the night, cold was the ground. Sit back and turn the lights out and give it a good listen and just think about what might be possible. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank you guys for letting me fly solo and tell you stories about Blind Willie Johnson. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com, You can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.